The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. In this second servant song contained in the book of Isaiah, we read about the successful servant. All four of these songs point us to a suffering servant, who we know is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah of Israel. But each one provides us insight to a different aspect of his person and work. Today, we read about the success of the mission that the servant was sent to accomplish. And of course, this is pointing us to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Join us today as we continue looking at the servant songs of Isaiah. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. I will call upon the Lord. Yeah. 
Turn this morning to the book of Isaiah, the 49th chapter. This morning, I want to talk about the second servant song that we read about in the book of Isaiah. You may recall last time we had talked about the fact that there are four servant songs, they're called, that scholars and theologians have identified through the years that are seated right in the middle of the book of Isaiah. And they are interesting to us because these servant songs point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes they're called the songs of the suffering servant. Last week, we looked at uh, chapter 42 in the first nine verses, and that was the song of the chosen servant. This morning, we want to go to the 49th chapter in the first 13 verses and look at the song of the successful servant. The song of the successful servant. The servant who is the Lord Jesus Christ, who successfully completed that which the Father sent him to do. Now, and by way of a little preview, there's also another one uh, of these servant songs in chapter 50, and then ultimately the climactic servant song, the song of the suffering servant himself, is found in the end of chapter 52 and all of chapter 53. And those of us that, uh, that read the, the scriptures and and stay in them. You know that sometimes we call chapter 53 the gospel according to Isaiah, uh, clearly pointing us to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, let's take a look at this second song, the, the song of the successful servant, because what we're going to see is that this servant who is sent is going to succeed in that which he came to do. Look at verses, verse 1. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people, from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me, and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me, and said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And then I said, I have labored in vain, I have spent my strength for naught and in vain, yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. In these four verses, these first four verses, we see the strength of the work that he was sent to do. Notice, first of all, he was called by God. And, and let me just point this out before we go any further. The very first word is listen, listen. Isaiah constantly harps upon this theme of listening, admonishing his hearers <clears throat> to pay attention. That doesn't mean just you, know, you hear the sound of it, but listen to pay attention to what I'm saying. You know, he also points out that Israel is not listening most of the time. There's a, the, the, the nation of Israel, if you go back and look at, at the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs of the nation of Israel, I think you, you will agree with me that we can identify in our personal lives with the national history of Israel. Because what happened with Israel? Israel would have these times of being close to the Lord. The Lord delivered them through the Red Sea. He parted the Red Sea and it was clear that the Lord's power was manifest. And there's just no way you can miss that. So surely they would never fall away again, right? <laughs> No, as soon as they got to the bitter waters of Mara over there, we can't drink the water. We're going to starve to death. We're, gonna, we're, gonna, uh, we're not going to find anything to eat or drink out here in the desert. You brought us out here to die, Moses. And the next thing you know, they're just like 
poor pitiful me, like unfortunately my life seems to be. There are times when I feel so close to him in such sweet fellowship with him and he's, and he's manifest his power in my life and the very next day I turn around and I'm bemoaning my state and oh, poor pitiful me. See, that's what's happening here with Israel now. As a matter of fact, if you go all the way back with me to the very first chapter there, and, and we start immediately talking about this vision of Isaiah. You know, it tells when he prophesied during the days of Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, who was one of the worst kings ever, and Hezekiah, who was one of the best kings there in Judah. Notice what he said in verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. See, God spoken to them, but they didn't listen. Look at verse 3. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know. My people did not consider. Is that not so typical of our daily walk sometimes? <laughs> and, and really, in this case, they've gotten so far that judgment is about to fall. We're not just talking about, a, you know, they got off a little bit and then they came back. We're talking about they've been going the wrong direction their leadership is wrong. The people are wrong. They're going in the wrong path down that Broadway, and they're just not listening. And, and you can look around you, and in nature you see that even the natural uh, brute beasts of the field know some things that Israel have forgotten. You know, the, the, the ox knows who his owner is. <laughs> the ass knows where the master's crib is, but Israel is just wandering around like they don't have a clue, you see. And he's saying, listen. Over in chapter 6, we see the real problem with Israel. In chapter 6 and verse 9, notice this. He said, go and tell this people. God's telling Isaiah here to do this. Go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not. See ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and be converted and be healed. Now we're going to see, if you study on further, that this is a prophecy of what's going to be happening in the time of the Messiah. Over in Matthew chapter 13, I believe it is, is where, where this, is, uh, uh, this is quoted uh, by, the, by the Lord himself. And then over in the book of Romans, it's quoted by, uh, by Paul. But notice what's happened here. It says, they hear, but they don't understand. And it's not because they don't have the capacity, because these are children of God. You know, this nation of Israel was primarily God's children. I know they weren't all God's children. But by the time the Lord came onto the scene, by the time Jesus came... They had gotten to the point where even if when they heard the words, they couldn't understand what they were being, being told. And so Isaiah here says, listen. And, you know, that's one of the things we do when we come to church. When the preacher gets up to preach what he's saying, what I'm saying to you, and, and of course I have to say it to myself first, is listen. Pay attention. Listen to what the Word of God says. Don't be like that. Uh, that, that hearer that goes away and doesn't, doesn't you know, sees his, his, his face in a mirror and then goes away and forgets. Don't do that. Listen. Sit up and pay attention. Now, notice here it says, Listen, O owls, unto me, and hearken ye people from afar. The tidings that Isaiah is about to give are not just for this physical nation of Israel. These tidings resound to the ends of the earth. When he's talking about, you see that word owls there. 
Sometimes it, they call it islands. But when you see something written to the isles, what he's talking about there are the Gentiles. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles out there in the world that didn't come up with the oracles of God, didn't come up with the Old Testament. It's, and, and the point is, is that this servant song here in Isaiah, and indeed the whole Bible for that matter, but especially these servant songs, are not just, a Jewish, are not just Jewish messages. They're not just written to the nation of Israel. Primarily, yes, that's who he's talking to, but this is a worldwide message. You remember what, over in the book of Acts, when Jesus was, after his resurrection, he, he met with them there in the first chapter, and he was, uh, he was breaking bread with them, and he shared with them some things concerning the kingdom of God, and he told them this. He said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Ye shall be my witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem. Well, that's where it started, right? But notice, also in all Judea and in Samaria. Now you're getting outside the bounds of Judaism, right? Uh, the, 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 the Jews were in Judea in that day, in Jerusalem, but now Samaria, you remember, he, went, he really rocked the boat over there when he went to the well there in, uh, in Samaria and met with a Samaritan woman who began to spread his word throughout that land, so much so that by the time Philip went down there to evangelize that place in Samaria in Acts chapter 8, that, that land was ready because one little Jewish woman one little Jewish woman had started spreading the word when Christ came to her. You remember, I love that too. It didn't say, well, I think I'm going to flip a coin today and decide whether to go through Samaria or not. John chapter 4, read it sometime. It said he must needs go through Samaria. He had an appointment with a woman at a well there in Samaria. He had an appointment with someone there that he knew from before the foundation of the world and had a work for her to do. <laughs> And she went back and told the whole village, come see a man who told me all things ever I did. And you know what happened later on? Read the book of Acts chapter 8, the first part of it. Philip goes down there and the whole region came to be baptized. Man, they experienced a revival and it came from one little Jewish Samaritan woman down there at a well. Isn't that, isn't that glorious? Now, I know, don't get me wrong. The Lord is in it. I'm not, I'm not discounting that it had to be the Spirit of the Lord moving. But notice how He works. Sometimes it comes from the smallest of things. He tells us in the 13th chapter of Matthew that it's like a mustard seed. The smallest little seed can, you know, just almost microscopic. But when you plant it and it grows and it waters, it becomes the greatest, almost a tree. The greatest of plants over there where the birds can find shelter. That little mustard seed of a woman at a well blossomed into this great revival over there in the book of Acts, the 8th chapter. He said, you're going to go to Jerusalem. You're going to be my witnesses in all Judea and in Samaria. But it didn't end there. Praise God. It says, and unto the uttermost part of the earth, the gospel message started among the Jews, but it was not a Jewish message. It was God's message to the whole world. It was God's message to His children everywhere, wherever they are. You understand when I say the whole world, I'm talking about the world of His children, which are in every kindred and nation and tongue and people. These tidings resound unto the end of the earth. But you know, by the time Jesus came along, the Jews had become prideful. They had become prideful. They had said, we're the only ones that have the truth. We're the only ones that this message is for. 
And in fact, it wasn't the message that Jesus brought, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was these old traditions that the Pharisees had. But if they had just listened to their own prophets, you know, they thought that they had all this knowledge, they could memorize the scrolls of Scripture, and they didn't listen to their own prophets. The prophets, Isaiah here said, listen, O Isles. And you're going to see it's more even clearer about being a light unto the Gentiles in a few minutes. But the tidings resound to the ends of the earth. And notice what he says. He said, the Lord hath called me from the womb. He hath called me from the womb. That is that Jesus Christ, this suffering servant, was ordained to the task before he was even born into this world. Don't let anybody tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ did not become the Son of God until He was conceived in the womb of Mary. He has always been the Son of God. He has always been the one that, uh, that was called to this task. Now, what He's given us here, you know, you read this and you say, well, sounds like that this started up about the time He came into the womb. No, He's just given us an explanation that we can understand of how that this little child that was born in Bethlehem, this little baby that was born there in Bethlehem and laid in a manger and grew to a man, he was ordained to do what he did from his mother's womb. In fact, before he was ever born into this world. But just so that we understand, he's focusing upon his time here on this earth, and he was ordained to that task. And notice it says, it says, from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. See what I said a while ago, that you don't need to let anybody tell you he just became the son of God when he was conceived in the womb of Mary. He, he, his name had been mentioned before he was ever conceived. And we know when he was in the womb, the angel told Joseph that she shall bring forth a son and she, she shall call his name Jesus. His name was already set before he was born, for he shall save his people from their sins over in Matthew 1 and 21. But notice what it says in the book of Isaiah, back in Isaiah chapter 7. Very familiar passage to us around around Christmas time, but notice in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. I love the Hebrew names. Because most every Hebrew name, you know, some of our names in English don't mean anything, you know. Uh, I mean, they, they just, they're just a name somebody came up with. Sometimes you can do some kind of research into the etymology of a word and figure out that it meant this and it meant that, you know. But, but in Hebrew, just about every name meant something. Emmanuel comes from the Greek phrase Imanu, which means with us, and the little word El, which is always a reference to God. It's like the word Bethel. The name Bethel, the place there in, in, in Israel called Bethel, is from the word Beit or Beth, which means house, and El, which means God, and that's why it's called the house of God. Bethel is the house of God. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, is God with us. His name was already mentioned, and in fact, he had several names. Over in the ninth chapter of Isaiah, in verse 6, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And he goes on to talk about his kingdom 
the increase of which there would be no end. In other words, it would go on and on and on perpetually until the end of time. Isn't that what we're in today? In that kingdom that is still here and has had no end. But notice the names, wonderful counselor, the mighty God. So this, this child that would be born, this suffering servant we're talking about here, would be the mighty God, the everlasting father. Okay, that's the name of this this prince, okay? But notice also, it's the prince of peace. So you've got the mighty God, the Father, who is also the prince. See, what's a prince? A prince is the son of the king. This suffering servant is the son of God, the son of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. His name had been mentioned. And if that's not enough, go back to Proverbs chapter 30 sometime. And read about verse 4 where he talks about, he says, Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? That sounds a lot like God, doesn't it? Who hath bound the waters in, as a garment? That sounds really like God. <laughs> Who hath established the ends of the earth? That's God, right? And it says, what is his name? Well, the Jews knew his name as Jehovah, but listen to this. And what is his son's name? If thou canst tell. For those who claim that Jesus only became the Son of God when he was conceived in the womb, for those who say that, they haven't read in the, the Scriptures and they haven't rightly divided the Word. You see, the Jews would have recognized the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, if they had just listened, if they had just read their own oracles. Notice verse 2, he possessed the power of God, okay? Not only was he called by God and appointed to this task, we saw that last time that he was mine elect, the chosen, but he had the power of God. He hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. The shadow of his hand hath he, in the shadow of his hand hath he hid me and made me a polished shaft in his quiver hath he hid me. He possessed the power of God. And why is that? Because he is God, <laughs> That's a pretty simple answer, right? <laughs> he is God. But notice that in this person, this, this second person of the Trinity, it says, my mouth, he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. I believe this reference here is to the divine effectiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ and his work. Think about this. The sharper the sword, the, more, the cleaner and deeper the cut, the more effective it is. And then notice it says, He hath made me like a polished shaft. That's like an arrow that's been polished. And that re is the reference there, I believe, is the, to the divine accuracy of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, that shaft was rubbed free from unevenness and flaws which could affect its flight. The smoother the arrow is, the less the wind resistance will affect it and the more accurate it will be. Now think about the mouth being like a sharp sword. That's the power of His voice. In, in one sense, that's the power of the voice of the Son of God. That's that power that we've talked about as the living word over in Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 12 and 13. He's the living word, which is quick and powerful as a two-edged sword. See, it's not the written word, uh, but the, the living word, which is living and is powerful and is able to divide asunder to the joints and marrow. It's divide, able to divide asunder the soul and the spirit. I'm preaching to you the word, but I can't divide asunder your soul and spirit. 
The Word can't do that, this written Word, but the living Word can. And He does that in the new birth, you see. And as a matter of fact, in John chapter 5 and verse 25, He tells us that the hour is coming and now is when they that are dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. That's a powerful voice. And it says, because they that hear shall live. They that hear shall live. I've never been able to raise the dead. I'll never be able to raise the dead. I've spoken to people in my, my loved ones that have just died. I've said things to them after they died. And not one time have they answered me. And never will they answer me. But when the Lord Jesus Christ speaks life to the dead alien sinner, he answers he gets life, you see. It's the voice of the Son of God. It's not the voice of the preacher. It's not the words of the Son of God. It's not, it's not these written words here. I can read you the words all day long, but I cannot speak in His voice. But the voice of the Son of God, the voice can divide asunder the soul and the spirit. The voice of the Son of God causes the dead to live. And I'm so thankful it's that way. Because I have yet to be able to preach in any effective way to a babe in the womb. You know, I don't share this for sympathy purposes, but I just share it because it's the truth and I can share my experience a lot better than I can share yours. But Sherry and I, when we were having our children, experienced four miscarriages, four, four babies that we lost in the womb. Okay? Now, if it was up to me to have preached the gospel to those babes in my wife's womb to somehow get them born again, then there's no hope for the souls of those little ones. But as it is, I trust a God who can speak life even into the womb of a babe that has only been conceived for a short time. Perhaps uh, there's a miscarriage. Perhaps there's an abortion. Perhaps there's something else going on. But beloved, I'm telling you, I'm talking to you this morning about the suffering servant who is able to speak life into the womb. John the Baptist leaped for joy in his mother's womb. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. He didn't leap for joy just because he had some kind of innate uh, sense of joy. He leaped for joy because he was born again there in his mother's womb. See, isn't that sweet? Isn't that precious? This is the, this is the power of the one whose mouth was made like a sharp sword. You go over sometime and read in Revelation about how that in every vision just about that you saw of the Lord, especially in the first chapter there, uh, when, when John saw him and turned and saw the glorified Christ, he said, he said, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And in the 19th chapter, we're told that out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations and rule them with a rod of iron. <laughs> that's glorious, isn't it? Now, I believe that's one of the references here to this one being... The Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me just switch gears for a moment and tell you, I do also believe that there is a power in the gospel message. There is a power. It's not the power to bring life. It's not the power to quicken one and make one alive. But there is a power in the gospel message. Over in the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 6 and verse 5. Go back to verse 4. O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? This is God talking. 
through Hosea. O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as the early dew it goeth away. There were problems in Israel and Judah in this day. Their goodness was just like a vapor. It just dissipated. Now listen to this. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. Therefore have I hewed them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And thy judgments are as the light that goeth forth. Notice what he's saying here. He's not talking here about the life-giving power of the living word. But what he's talking about here is about the gospel power of the preached word. He says, I have slain them by the words of my mouth. Let me ask you a question. Remember in the day Isaiah's writing here, he's forecasting the coming Babylonian captivity. The Babylonian empire is going to come down and take the, uh, the, the nation of Israel captive. And uh, they're going to be in captivity for 70 years, as you recall, and then go back to, to their land. But, but, but I want to ask you a question. Which is still around? The Babylonian empire or the gospel message? Even better than that. In the time of Christ, when Christ came here onto this earth and was crucified and rose again the third day. And the gospel message began to be preached. And the Christians were the least of the least in that day. They were considered the basest of humans. They were cast into the uh, in, into pits. They were, uh, they were torn apart by beasts. They were hung up. Nero hung them up alive in baskets in his garden and set them on fire to light his garden as he would right, walk through there. Now that sounds like a people that ought to be stamped out. That sounds like a people that there's just no hope for them. But I want to ask you a question. Which is still around? The Roman Empire or the Christian church? <laughs> What's still here today? (laughs) Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.